Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ellie Gordon podcast. The Ellie Gordon podcast is a space where you can tune in to hear about topics ranging from wellness to current events. I'm your host, Ellie Gordon, and I'm thrilled to connect with you all. Today's topic is education, specifically the shift from brick and mortar education to distance learning education and what's currently happening within schools. So let's start with brick and mortar education. What is that? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a school that has a physical building and a campus. 100 years ago, most learning occurred at home with parents acting as teachers. If families could afford it, they would hire private tutors to teach their children. Now let's go back a little bit and revisit some history. After the American Revolution, Thomas Jefferson believed that a new independent nation needed an education system and that tax dollars would be used to fund it. Nothing really came of it for about a century until 1840s when some public schools appeared, of course, in the wealthy communities. The father of common school, also known as Horace Mann, created the Massachusetts Board of Education and called for free mandatory school for every child in the country, funded by local taxes. Mann believed that political stability and social harmony depended on education, a basic level of literacy and the instilling of common public ideals would lead to good citizenship and democratic participation. So we can thank the Massachusetts Board of Education for our brick and mortar schools. 140, 184 years later, with the global health pandemic in the forefront, the model of school has once again shifted to one of um, in-person buildings and campuses to virtual or cyber school environment. The history of distance learning, however, is not a new one and has been around since the 1700s. In the early days of distance learning, before technology, letter writing was used. How about that? And students learned to write shorthand by exchanging letters. Now, present day, 2020, you can see that distance learning is really now the new norm. Today, around one in four college students are enrolled in at least one online class. This being said, for me, it's the first time that I've really seen the kindergarten through 12th grade or K through 12 students now also getting into and participating in this distance learning model. So how are K through 12 students currently learning in the midst of global health pandemic? Well, as you all know, you might have children of your own or nieces, nephews, just by watching the news. Schools have been mostly remote since March of 2020. Teaching is done through platforms like Zoom and students upload their classwork to online systems. A typical class day can range anywhere from two hours to four hours with breaks in between. This digital only transition is really new for most parents, teachers, and staff. Parents are, whether they want to or not, uh, much more involved in their children's education and serve as a major driving force to make sure their child is participating in this novel form of schooling. K through 12 schooling is really seen as primarily for academics now, whereas before, I think there was much more of a social and academic piece to it. When you are in these virtual classrooms presently, chats are often disabled in the class. 
um, for good reason, but still they're disabled. Cameras are off during their recess and lunch breaks, and students are learning two-dimensionally in a three-dimensional world. While it's true that most school districts are still currently virtual, some school districts have opted to return to in-person schooling. In the last month or so, there's been a lot of chatter in some districts about having kids go back. And um, what's called blended learning is becoming a new buzzword. That's when the child or the student goes to school part-time in person and then part-time at home. And there's also what's called cohorts or pods um, or groups where kids are in group A or group B or they're in the AM or the PM group. And um, these districts that are trying to have kids return or have successfully had kids return, um, the way they're going about it is they're having parents sign a waiver to have their kids return and um, they're using the guidelines given to them from the state and the Department of, of Health. And you may be wondering what's included in these waivers. Well, a lot of it's public knowledge. If you just Google it, you can find what these waivers include and entail. And some um, information that I found is you know, what you would think would be in a waiver. Acknowledging that your child will interact with the district staff members, other students and volunteers, and that there will be some unavoidable risks to parents, children, and family due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And then there are several sections, the first one being a waiver and release section, so parents release and forever discharge and hold harmless the district and its agents from any or all types of liability or claims and um, assumption of risk. So parents understand that their child's return and or participation may expose him or her and others to unavoidable COVID-19 community spread. So once parents sign this waiver, their child can return to in-person schooling. And just a tangent, um, I wonder if these waivers are gonna be more commonplace in and a lot of other avenues, such as sports or even venues, um, places of that nature. So you might be wondering, what steps are schools currently taking to mitigate risks? Here are some steps some districts are taking. Students and staff have to wear a face mask all day, including recess and lunch. Um, during those active times, not when they're eating, but when they're out and about walking around. Um, there are wellness checks for all employees and teachers, temperature checks before students walk on campus, and employees are asked questions about symptoms. Students are to bring their own refillable water bottles. There are block days, so students go either two days a week or three days a week and rotate, or they do what's called a hybrid learning, in-person and remote. There are lots of cleaning supplies all around. In between each break, students are asked to wipe down their own desks um, before school, after school, lots of cleaning done. There are single desks now, no more table partners or those sled tables. New furniture in a lot of classrooms, new desks, separate chairs. Um, K 
kids are asked again to disinfect whenever possible. And during the cafeteria or lunchtime, it's more common now that they served box lunches instead of hot lunch. And kids are, I've heard, asked to sit with just one friend. So this can be, you know, it can be good in that they have more quality relationships, but those whole, the whole like sitting in groups of your friends or cliques, um, it's probably less of that now. And school sites will designate routes on campus to maintain one-way flow of foot traffic. And um, also during times of play, they have zones. So they're either in the frisbee zone or the basketball zone for that day. And then air dilution has also been increased by keeping windows and doors open and air filters are being upgraded all the time. Uh, so I wonder how students are feeling about all of this. I mean, I'm sure there are mixed feelings. I know my own nephew was super excited to go back, and he didn't even bring up any of the guidelines that he has to follow, like wearing a mask and all of that. He was just so excited to go back, and I thought to myself, hmm, when do you ever see children so happy to go back to school? Like, you know, after summer break, they're all dreading it, but it's been such a long time, and they've been so deprived of seeing friends and just sharing and, and playing. Um, I do have some students I know that um, are just kind of more cynical about the whole thing. Like I've heard, oh, I have to bring a megaphone because it's going to be so hard for anyone to hear me with a mask on. But I think the overall consensus is kids are just happy to have a routine again, to be able to get up, have breakfast, have their parents drop them off at school, um, have some time away from home to be in a new environment, um, and then go back to their home after. So with schools reopening, um, it's really been occurring more in the, I know we've been talking about K through 12, but it's been really happening a lot in the K through five grades, kindergarten through fifth grade. And I just recently read a newspaper article about that. And it was saying that classes for younger kids are easier to organize because there's they're limited to one classroom for all subjects. So kids can be kept in groups or co cohorts, and that minimizes the risk of spreading coronavirus. And when you think about um, middle school or high school, you have different teachers and different periods, and kids are, students are mixing with each other all day long. So there's a higher level of risk there. And that's why the middle school and high school have been slower to reopen. Um, there are pros and cons to um, returning to school. I'm just going to quickly just state that when you keep the kids home, some argue that the mental and social development of that child is not progressing if they don't go back. But then there's the flip side, that it's risky because some studies show that children spread COVID-19 much more efficiently and are major drivers of the pandemic. But when you think of it, think of it from socioeconomic status or, um, you know, just from a different um, lower income families or less privileged families, uh, schools are really, can be a really big source of, of food, a child care, safety. Some parents don't have the luxury to work from home. And, um, you know, unfortunately some kids, uh, you know, are left at home alone. And, um, 
so you can see schools and that brick and mortar model as as a place where kids can go to for shelter and comfort and safety and consistency and familiarity. Um, so that's a, that's a really big important piece that I think it's it's forgotten, especially in the more privileged neighborhoods. Um, so what are some other options? Um, if you know the the thing with this with returning to school is that it's flexible enough to pivot the model if science shows that schools reopening is contributing to an increase of COVID cases. I mean, as you can see now in the news, there are there's definitely more spikes in certain areas. And so if schools need to push back, then they need to push back. And I think some schools are reopening. Um, some are arguing, is it a really good time to reopen? I mean, flu virus is happening. COVID's happening. Why now? But some are saying that it's a it's kind of a a test try before the holidays to see you know what works what doesn't to work out the kinks before kids return and then there's always the option to do the mixed teleeducation um mixed teleeducation and in person and some have talked about classrooms outdoors i mean that would be awesome for kids and students um you know if weather permits that's an option so um, just shifting gears a bit, what does this mean for high school and college students? Well, I was just recently at a college campus and it just broke my heart to see, you know, that it was just so such a ghost, ghost campuses. Um, lots of students are, it's so quiet. Um, campuses are um, just isolated and, and, and not that much activity going on. There's so much hustle and bustle universities and campuses I was taking my dog on a walk and um it you know I thought to myself you know the whole college experience has been so watered down for so many students um students I I wonder if they're resorting to just go home um and not stay on campus because there's really I think it's really hard to socially distance on on campuses when you're living in dorms and living in such tight quarters with other students that's like a petri dish for for viruses so I wonder if it makes sense for college students to live on campus now and and you know what about those students who transferred after two years and they only get two years and if the pandemic's projected to Curve for another two years. What what will that mean for them? Will tuition be decreased? Um, you know, will the academics be the same? I know I did some virtual classes post post bachelor and some master's classes, and it and I you know I enjoyed it. I could do it at my own pace, but I had already you know I've already went through the college campus experience, so um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So now I'm just going to go into some of the positives and, and negatives of, on, of online education. I'm going to go through the positives first. So first, there are no textbooks. It's easy to use when you understand how to use the platforms. Students can't you know, bring up the excuse that they don't know where their homework is or they lost their homework or they can't afford the books. Um, the internet is a huge tool for educational resources. If everything's online, that's a big tool for them, um, for students. Oper there are more opportunities for leadership through sharing and presenting online. 
um, recorded lessons for students to go back to and review. There's individualized learning opportunities so students can learn at their own pace, go as fast or as slow as they need to go. Um, it improves computer skills needed for a highly technological world. It can be accessed anywhere in the world. You can log in from India, you can log in from your grandma's house, you can log in from anywhere. Um, it's better for the environment. There's less pollution, there's less driving, there's less trash, there's more electronic books. And some say that there is um, less opportunity for bullying and intimidation um, in classes, which was a big problem before COVID. A lot of online, well, you, you could still do the online bullying, but in-person bullying, and that's often um, goes unseen too. So um, how about some negatives of online education? Well, the emotional connections missing with other students. Um, students might may fall through the cracks if they don't understand what the lesson is, or they don't have enough support at home because their parents aren't home. Um, they don't, students don't always have the right tech, technology in lower SES neighborhoods or can't connect to Wi-Fi properly or, you know, some districts just need more Chromebooks. Um, the less fortunate may be left at home alone. Um, disadvantaged students may not have meals like we mentioned, like I mentioned before, like breakfast or lunch. There's less, there may be less instructional time happening, unfortunately. You know, you used to go for, what, six hours a day, and now you're maybe getting one or two good hours of instructional time. Um, more students are skipping class or walking away from class, part of class. Uh, you don't really know if students are paying attention as much, if their cameras are off. There might be distractions in the home environment, parents fighting, um, just noise in the background. Uh, special ed students, um, a big one, they, they're not getting that in-person one-on-one support that they need to assist them with behaviors and academics that they, that they need and that they deserve. And um, visual learners just um, don't do as well, visual and tactile learners in a digital world um, of learning. And then social cues may, are, missing, are missed uh, virtually. And you wonder if, as a society, we will regress socially um, and with the lack of interaction, and uh, if humans will connect even more with technology to fill that, fill, fill that void, and then in turn not really get that connection they're seeking. So all in all, I'm going to get into what does the future of education look like? You know, I wish I had my crystal ball in front of me and I could you know, tell all of you, but I will say before COVID hit, I was telling my husband, Sean, that I just have a feeling, this must have been six months before or so, um, and I kept saying, maybe I told him two or three times, like, I wonder what the future of school is going to look like. Are kids going to physically go into a school? Is there going to be a need for that? I wonder if it's all going to be online or digital, and sure enough, you know, we're all doing it, everything digitally. Students are successfully logging in and meeting with their teachers and getting information and turning in assignments. So, um, you know, it is occurring now. I mean, it's silly to say, I know the future is the future, but the future is occurring as we speak and it's happening super rapidly. And the Microsoft CEO stated recently, we've seen two years worth of digital transformation 
occur in the past two months. And a Forbes article recently had a statement that read, from kindergarten to MBA, students are immersed in distance learning. And the one unifying factor is that technology rules the classroom. So technology's here, it's happening, the digital world is occurring. You know, we, we have to either get on board or figure out how to get on board. And hopefully parents and students and families can get access to support where they need it. And so what does the future hold? I mean, I think it's clear there's definitely gonna be a continuation of the digital logins, links, and communication happening virtually. While we continue on this path, it's important to remember where we started and to really embrace where we're headed. It was great talking to you all and I hope to talk to you again soon.